0: Have you ever lost hope? You ever lost hope about something? I thought about all the Saints fans in the room. How many Saints fans do we have in the room? I mean, you remember the days of the paper bags, the, the, the brown paper bag days? It wasn't the Saints. They were the, the Aints. And you lost hope, did you not? Right? You lost hope that the Saints would ever win. And then, and then... They, they had, um, what was the coach there, Mike Ditka? He traded away all the draft picks to get Ricky Williams. Then you really thought, I mean, we're, it's that, the, we're, we're cursed. But you know what happened? We got Sean Payton. And we got Drew Brees. And what happened? We got a Super Bowl, right? So, but you had lost hope. And that, 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 that is trivial. That is football, right? But how many of you have lost hope in something that's a little bit more significant than a football team? Maybe you've lost hope that your husband or your wife would ever ever love you again. Maybe you've lost hope that that you would ever be well again. You've lost hope that the sickness that you have is ever going to be well. Maybe you've lost hope that your kids would ever return and come home and follow Christ. Maybe you've lost hope. That your job that you're on, that you struggle with, the finances that you struggle with, maybe you've lost hope that that is ever going to change and you're going to struggle forever. Have you ever lost hope? I have lost hope. And I know that those of you here this morning, if you live life long enough, you lose hope from from time to time. And this is where we see the early disciples. The early disciples had lost their hope. Jesus had been arrested, beaten, tried, crucified, and buried. He'd been arrested, beaten, tried, crucified, and buried, and they had lost their hope. But what's interesting is, is that there was a rumor. There was a rumor that had spread. There were some women at the tomb, and some women had said that that there were some visitors, some angels that came and told them, as we read earlier, that he's not there. Why are you visiting the living among the dead? And and, and so there was this rumor that was, was spreading, but they didn't believe it. In Jewish times during that day, in ancient Jewish times, a woman's testimony was not trusted in court. And so that is why these disciples did not believe the testimony of the women was because it was built into their culture to not trust their testimony. And so they had lost all hope. They, they thought it was all done. And so this is where we're going to pick up the account as we started from the first song all the way through. We're going to pick up the account and we're going to find two disciples only one of them is going to be named. We don't know. We don't believe that they're a part of the original 11, the original 12, but they're maybe a part of the 70 or the 120, but there's two disciples and they are on the road to Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem where the, where the crucifixion took place and they're making a seven mile journey to a town called Emmaus. And this is where we pick up the account. Let's read in Luke 24, starting in verse 13. That very day, two of them We're going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word because God be, before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things occurred. Moreover, some When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while we talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. This is the Lord's word. So let me do this this morning. This is what we're going to do. It's a long session of scripture and I want to break it down into three things. There are three things in this account that I want us to consider this morning. Three thoughts, three things for us to think about in this story, in this account of Jesus' resurrection and in particular this, this journey for these two disciples who had lost their hope. They were representations of all the other disciples who had lost their hope. So what are we going to look at? What are, the, what are some things we should consider? The first is this. Is that we are all tempted to misplace our hope. We are all tempted to misplace our hope. If you look back at that section. Back at the, at the beginning in verse 15. It says they were talking and walking together. And Jesus drew near. But, but their eyes were, were, were prevented from understanding that it was him. And so, so Jesus says, what's going on? And, and what's happening? He joins into the conversation. And look what it says there. It says, and they stood still looking sad. So this is what I picture. I picture two disciples and Jesus and they're walking along and they don't know who he is. They did not know who he was. Their eyes, God had shielded their eyes from seeing who he was and so I see two disciples and Jesus walking along and they're talking and they're discussing and then Jesus leans over and says, hey, what's going on? What's what's happening? What's been going on with you guys? And I can just see them walking and going, really? They just stood still and they looked sad. It was because they were sad. It was because they were despondent. They were on a journey. They were on a path. They were headed home. They were headed to Emmaus. And when somebody asked what was going on, their grief caused them to stand still, to stop. You ever been in that moment before? Have you ever had a standstill moment before, where you're going along in life, you're going along your journey, and you had a and you have a standstill moment. Life stops you in your tracks. That's where they were at. Maybe it was a cancer diagnosis. You ever had that? And your life stands still. They were in a standstill moment where life had seemingly stopped because all of their hope was gone. They looked sad. They looked sad. They were sad because their hopes had been dashed. They were sad because all the things they thought were going to happen because of Jesus were now over verse 21 let's look at verse 21 this is what they thought but we had hoped we had hoped that he was the one to redeem israel we had hoped that he was the one to redeem israel and yes besides all this it is now the third day it's too far gone it's too far gone it's it's finished we had hoped that he was the one to redeem israel for these men, hear me, for these men, these two and for the rest of the, of the disciples, their concept of the role that the Messiah was going to have, which is what they believed Jesus was, their concept for that role was not who Jesus came to be. He didn't come to be a conquering ruler. These disciples in the nation of Israel, they were looking for a conquering king, a Messiah that would come with a strong arm, a strong military arm that would come and finally deliver them from oppression. They were under Roman oppression. And they were like, finally, when they saw Jesus come, came, He spoke like no one had spoke. He taught like no one had ever taught. He walked in authority. And not only... Did he walk in authority and teach like no one had ever taught? But he did miracles. Not only did he do miracles to heal the sick, but he raised the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they thought, surely, this is the one. This is the Messiah. This is the one that we've been waiting for. And then mysteriously, this one that they thought was going to be a conquering king, he started talking about death. He started talking about crucifixion. He started talking about suffering and saying that he must go to the cross, that he must die. And they didn't understand. They didn't get it over and over again when Jesus would try to communicate to them what the reality was behind his purpose. They missed it every time because they had one idea about what a Messiah was there for. And the Messiah for the nation of Israel was there to help them conquer, to be free. But why did Jesus come? Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Come to me. This is Jesus saying this. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You need rest this morning? You need rest for your soul this morning? Jesus came to give you rest. Come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How did Jesus describe himself? Gentle, as meek, as lowly in heart. What did they want? They wanted power. They wanted strength. They wanted dominion. They wanted victory. Matthew 20. But Jesus called called them to him and talked to his disciples. These who were confused about his purpose and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord their authority over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. For many, they didn't get it. He said it there and in many other places, I've come to serve, I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. And so when he gave his life, they were like, wait a minute, that's not what's supposed to happen. That wasn't my agenda, that wasn't my plan. So as a result of their plans being dashed, they had lost hope. And the disciples of that day and the disciples of this day, you and I, we are all tempted the same. To lose our hope when we place our hope in the wrong things. When we place our hope in the wrong idea about who God is. When we place our hope in the, in the wrong things in this life. When those things fail us. When our ideas about God fail us. When things fail us. We have no hope. What have you placed your hope in this morning? What are some things in this life that we're tempted to place our hope in? Relationships. People. How many of you know as much as you love your, your loved ones and your friends and your family, you cannot have your ultimate hope in this life in an individual because they will fail you because they're imperfect. Your career, you placed your hope in your career, that, in your career this morning in the, in, with the instability of the financial situation we find ourselves in. You can't place your hope in your career, in, in money, in possessions. Those all come together. If you place your hope in your money, in your 401k... You remember in 2008 when it all tanked? How much did you lose? There were some people. You don't have to answer me. There were, some, there were some people that in 2008, because they lost a lot of money, they committed suicide. And why was that? Because their hope, their security for the future, they thought, was in money. You can't have hope in money, possessions, your career. Leaders, you, you, you can't place your hope in leaders and politicians can't place your hope in in men in leaders and politicians our hope can only be in Christ we cannot place our hope in things that are temporary the only thing in this life that we can place our hope in are the things that are eternal and what is eternal is Jesus Christ and what is eternal is his word And, and and here's and here's what I think and here's what I see and I believe that you see it with me I see people that live this life today and they're looking into all kind of different things for, for sustenance, for strength, for satisfaction, and for nourishment. And they're running to career. They're running to relationships. They're running to drugs, to alcohol. They're running to all kind of different things, trying to satisfy the thirst of their soul. And they're empty. You've seen empty people in your life? Maybe you're here this morning and you're empty. And I'm, I was reminded as I was studying this morning... In the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, he talked about the nation of Israel, how they had did the same thing. They had had tried to dig wells for themselves. They had tried to spiritually find sustenance apart from Christ. And look what he says in Jeremiah chapter 2. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. The first evil is that they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. The second is this, that they have hewed out, they've dug out cisterns or wells for themselves, but the wells are broken. They're broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that's what I see. I see, I see people all around me. I see people all around me on TV, on, through media. I see people all around in our lives that they're trying to get satisfaction from a well that is broken. And these were the disciples. They had their hope in things that were empty, in things, this idea about a Messiah, and it was a broken idea. It was not God's plan. So here's the first lesson we must learn. We cannot place our hope in anyone but Jesus Christ. Everything else is second. God is first. Christ is first. We place all of our hope in him because he is the only one that can satisfy. Just like the people of God in Jeremiah's day, we too can dig for ourselves wells that are broken and then run to them for satisfaction and hope but they are broken and they hold no water so the first thing i want us to think about is that we're all tempted to misplace our hope if you misplace your hope today today you can place it in the right place the second thing i want us to take from this account is that real hope is grounded in truth a real hope is grounded in truth. And this is a powerful turn. This is a powerful switch that the Lord takes these disciples on. Let's go back to the text. After they said, after they looked sad, they put their heads down. And they told him, don't you know what's been going on? Don't you, don't, don't you understand? Don't you, haven't you seen? Are you the only one that is missing it? And he said to them in verse twenty-five, 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, which would be the first five books of the Old Testament, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the them in all the scriptures of things concerning himself. So Jesus is going to take these discouraged and hopeless disciples on a journey. He's going to walk them through the truth of God's word and show them the revelation concerning himself. So what is Jesus' go-to as he tries to show these men truth? What's his go-to? He could have just snapped them out of the blindness that they had. He could have just snapped them out at that moment because he blinded them to see who he is, right? He could have at that moment said, okay, hey, by the way, sorry, it's me. And then they would have been filled with hope, right? But what did he do? He kept them to where they couldn't see him. And he went to where? To truth. He went to scripture. People are always looking for answers to the troubling situations they face. And if they're looking to answers that are not rooted in biblical truth, they're looking in the wrong places. Do you hear me? Jesus could have went anywhere. But where did he go? He went to the the scriptures. And this is what I want to tell you. Real hope is found in the truth of God's word. And you can look in many places to to, to try to find truth and try to find answers when you've lost hope. But there is no better place for you to look, for you to put your feet on than on God's word. It is a solid foundation of truth. And so the Lord that we worship, our resurrected king, he went to scripture to bring hope to the hopeless. The answers we're looking for, they're not found in psychology. They're not found in philosophy. Man-centered earthly wisdom is always an unstable place to stand. The answers are not found in Hollywood. We can't look to the lives of the rich and famous and find anything of substance to base our lives on. Do you believe that? Absolutely. Here's here's another one. Washington, D.C. and Capitol Hill are always running short on meaningful solutions for hurting people that is true washington dc washington dc and what they do up there on capitol hill they are always running short on finding meaningful solutions for hurting people political leaders have become entrenched in a system that they're unable to fix i was listening to, to the radio a couple of days ago and i just left preparing for the message i was headed back home and you know, the, 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 the investigation's over. I don't have to tell you what investigation's over, but the investigation is over. And listen to the radio. And I heard that they're about to investigate the investigation. And I thought, wow, this is what we vote them in to do. To run in circles. To investigate the investigation. Because the people who didn't like the results of the investigation want to investigate the investigators. You're not going to find answers there. That's not where the answers are found. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here, look above politics. Politics will be over one day. Do, listen. Do politics, do, do, does politics matter? To the degree that it can, it can support biblical truth. But everything else, you can have it. Amen? That's just my, my personal belief. So where do we go? Where do you go for truth, for answers, when we have misplaced our hope? Real hope is grounded in truth. And wouldn't it have been amazing, wouldn't it have been awesome if Jesus would have inspired Luke and given him the message that he talked to those two disciples on? Oh, it would have been beautiful if I could have just went to you and showed where Jesus went through all the all the, the first five books of the Old Testament went through the prophets in the Old Testament and and just heard his message. I, I mean, look, I could have just read that and been done and we could have been eating lunch right now. It's 11 o'clock. We could have been gone. And that would have been powerful and profound. You wouldn't have to heard my thoughts about all of this. It would have been beautiful. But here's what we're going to do. I think what we can do is give you a little a little sample. What would it have been like? And so here's what Jesus was doing. He went to the first five books of the Old Testament and to to the prophets, and he showed these two disciples all the things that they missed as Jews about the Old Testament concerning himself. He pointed to Jesus in the Old Testament. So maybe he would have done this. After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God killed, sacrificed an animal to provide coverings for them, a picture of the death of an innocent substitute to cover the sin of the guilty. You can find that in Genesis three twenty-one. Maybe he went there to Genesis Maybe he continued on in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 5. God accepted Abel's sacrifice because it was a blood sacrifice and rejected Cain's because it was not, which is a picture of the sacrifice that Jesus took on the cross for us. He shed his blood. Maybe he continued in Genesis to Genesis 6 through 7. God calls Noah to build an ark for the protection of God's people from judgment. The ark is a picture of Christ whom sinners run to, for safety and deliverance from judgment. Maybe he went to Genesis 22. God provides a ram that's caught in the thicket as a substitute for Isaac. The ram that's caught is a clear picture of Christ as our substitute. I believe that's where he went. Maybe he went to Exodus 12, God's final judgment on the nation of Egypt and the Passover lamb's sacrifice for protection for God's people. When the Passover, when the death angel came over Egypt, and only the firstborn of the nation of Israel were protected because they had the blood of the sacrificed lamb on their doorpost, a picture of the cross. Maybe he continued and went on to Exodus 16, the manna in the the wilderness, that the nation of Israel, in their wanderings, God provided manna for them. And this is a picture of Christ as the bread of life. And we see that in John chapter 6 as well, where Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Maybe he went on to Exodus 17, where the rock in the wilderness that provided nourishment, provided water for God's people. Christ is the living water that nourishes and satisfies. We see it in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus comes and says, here, I can give you living water that you will never thirst again. Maybe that's where he went. And maybe he went to a lot of other places in the Old Testament. It was a seven-mile journey. How long do you think it would take to walk seven miles? A Long time. I heard somebody this morning say that they ran 6.2 miles in an hour, just over an hour. I think that's what it was. Just over an hour. They ran seven miles walking. So I think he went through a lot of the Old Testament. Then he went to the prophets. This is an amazing prophecy. This prophecy was written. Listen to this. This prophecy was written a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. The prophecy concerning Christ. Torment and Crucifixion from Psalm 22 was written a thousand years before his birth. Listen to this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. You remember we read, Earlier, he can save himself. I am poured out like water and all the bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my heart. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. He was thirsty and they gave him sour wine to drink. Dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me and they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. We read that in Luke earlier during the service. A thousand years before the birth of Christ, what would happen took place. Powerful affirmation of the validity of God's word and of Christ's death. Psalm 41, 9, written a thousand years before the birth of Christ. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who I ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Who is Jesus talking? Who is it talking about there in Psalm? Judas, he dipped the bread in the bowl with Judas, the one who dips the bread with me. He is the one who will betray me. Psalm 69, 21, they gave me poison for food and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Zechariah twelve, ten. another prophecy, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me on whom they have pierced. What did they do to Jesus to to see if he was dead? They pierced his side and blood and water flowed. And then you have the, the ultimate prophecy concerning Christ, written over 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah 53. I just want to read the whole thing because it's so beautiful. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up Before him, like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. I want to stop right here. You know what this is? This is a prophecy. Points pointing forward to what Jesus would experience. But it's also a prophecy pointing forward to the nation of Israel declaring this. Because in the future they will realize and they will come and return to their Messiah. And they will cry this out. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears, is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall, righteous, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And we are the many who have placed our faith in Christ. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Real hope is grounded in truth. And these guys didn't get it. And as Jesus walked through that and he went, I, I can imagine as they're walking, they don't know it's Jesus yet, but as they're walking and, and, and he's telling them about Psalm 22, he's telling them about Psalm 51, he's telling them about S- Isaiah 53, they're probably thinking, oh, how did we miss it? How did we not see? This is what he pointed to. This is what he declared to us that he was going to suffer. Real hope is grounded in truth. Real hope comes from God's word. Where is your gaze set this morning? Where are you looking to find truth concerning the big questions of life? Real hope is found in Christ. And real hope is revealed through sacred scripture. That's where real hope is found. So we cannot give in to the temptation to misplace our hope. And real hope, and we go to look for it, we must go to the truth of God's word just as our Lord did. Isn't that beautiful? That's why we study the Bible. If it was good enough for Jesus, I think I'm going to do it too, right? I'm going to go to God's word to find truth, to find answers. And the third thing I want us to look at this morning. When real hope is found, you urge him to stay. When real hope is found, you urge him to stay. Luke 24 Jesus expounded the scriptures to them. So as they drew near to the village to which they were going, he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. For it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. It's an interesting section as you read it. How many of you knew that Jesus was an Academy Award winning actor? Did you know that? He acted. He acted. I mean, doesn't that just, like, really blow your mind as you read that? Like, you would think, Jesus is not going to act. He's going to do what he wants to do. He's going to be matter of fact. But he acted. They're getting closer to the house where these two disciples were going. And he, he gets close. And so I can just picture in my imagination, they're going this direction. And Jesus says, okay, guys, I'll, I'll see you later. And he's going this direction. And he acted like he was going. What's going on there? What is Jesus trying to do there? He's trying to elicit a response. But you know the first thing that stuck out to me when I saw that Jesus acted? How many times in our life has God been at work and we didn't know it? They didn't, those two disciples didn't know what Jesus was doing and why he was doing it. They didn't know who he was in the first place. And he's acting. He's going this direction. And they're going the opposite because they're going to their house. And he's, he's trying, he's working. He's at work. He's doing something. He's trying to do something. And I want you to know that there are many times in your life where you, you don't know that God is at work. You can't see him. Maybe, maybe you wagged your finger at God and you say, God, where are you? I don't know where you are. You're nowhere to be found. God was at work. He's always at work in our lives. Sometimes we just can't see it. How many times in our life has God been at work and we didn't know it was Him? You can call it coincidence if you like. But you know what I call it? Divine providence. Divine providence. God is working to orchestrate His plan in our life. Something was happening in the hearts of these disciples. They had never heard the Scriptures taught like they had just heard it. Something was burning within their hearts. And that's what we see at the end of the story. Their hearts were burning within within them. And so when Jesus acted and said, I'm going over here, you guys, okay, I'll see you later. And he acted like he's going. He knew that their hearts were burning within them. He knew that they had never heard anyone teach like he had just taught. That's what Mark chapter 1 says. And they went up, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. They were astonished at his teaching. And and the same is true for these two disciples. They were astonished. They were amazed at the teaching of this man. And so what did they do? They said, you know what, there's no way I'm letting this guy go. I don't know who he is. But whoever he is, he just made sense of everything that we were struggling with. He pointed us to answers that we never saw. And so what did, what did they do? What, is, what, what does the text say? But they urged him strongly. Stay with us. And when you study the, 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 the phrase, urge strongly, you, do you know what it means? Urge strongly. How do you urge somebody strongly to do something? Have you ever tried to urge your kids strongly to do something? and you, you urge them with your words. All right, come on. You need to do it. You need to obey. How many, times, how, how many of you know that sometimes your words aren't enough? And you've got to grab them by the back of their shirt. And you've got to pull them up. Come on. This is what I picture when it says urge strong. Jesus starts to split ways with them. And he's going this direction. And they're going. And they went and said, No. You need to come. And they grabbed a hold of him. brother, brother, come. Come, come stay with us. Come, come eat with us. Why was that? Because truth had penetrated their heart. And here's what I want to tell you. When you have lost hope and you find hope in God's word, you want to lay a hold of it at all costs. Because that's where your hope has been found. And that is exactly what they did. When real hope is found, you urge him to stay. This was not a half-hearted attempt. This man had spoken truth to them from the scriptures in a way that caused their hearts to burn. But far too often when people are exposed to divine truth, they fail to give the proper response. Have you ever seen that? Maybe, Maybe that's you here this morning. Fail to give the proper response when divine truth concerning Christ, comes into our view. There's really only one true response. It's stay, 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 stay with me. Stay with us. I want you, I I respond, I stay with me. But what are some responses that people can say? Some common responses that are not the proper response. I've I've heard something like this. Well, I'm, I'm not a bad person really not a bad person and so really only bad people need Jesus and what do we know from what scripture says there is none righteous from the book of Romans there is none righteous no not one for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God no one's good Jesus said that to the rich young ruler he said no one's good why do you call me good no one is good we're all sinful and unrighteous and we all need redemption and forgiveness. And so whenever a sinful person finds hope that is grounded in truth in the son of the living God, you, the only response is not to say I'm not that bad. It's to say I know that I'm a sinner and I want you to stay with me. Maybe, maybe some people respond like this. I found something better. Found something better. Not a bad person. And and I found something better. I found a relationship that's better. I found an experience that's better. I found a substance that's better. I found something that's better. And just like the broken cisterns as described in Jeremiah 2, they will eventually, if you run to other things other than Christ for ultimate satisfaction, you will find those other things that you believe are better. They are actually broken wells and it will end in emptiness. Maybe... Maybe this is a reason to not plead with Jesus to stay. Life is too painful for God to be good. Life's too painful for God to be good. If God was good, then I wouldn't experience this. If God was good, then I wouldn't go through suffering. And so this is a ploy of the enemy to get us to reject the obvious reality of God and his goodness. And who he is. By using suffering and pain to get us to believe that God is not good. We were never promised in this life that we were not going to suffer. It's only false views of the gospel that put that out there. This idea that if you follow God, that you won't suffer. That's false beliefs. In this life, we will have trials and tribulations, Jesus said. But be of good cheer. Take heart, for he's overcome the world. Maybe people say this, I have time. I'll get to it. I have time. I'll get to it. You know, there's lots of people here. You guys came on Easter Sunday But there's some people, they didn't come because they said, well, I have time. I'll come next Sunday or I'll I'll go next Easter. I'll come back. You know what the book of James says, James chapter 4? It says life is like a vapor. It's here for a moment and then it's gone. So when the objections and excuses are no longer in the way, when you have no other arguments you can make, when God has you cornered, When cornered by God? When God has you cornered? When sin has lost its shine? When Christ is more beautiful? And when grace has won you over? What is the only proper response? To your heart burning within you because of who Christ is. Matthew 13 tells us. Jesus tells us. He tells some parables. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding the one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So what's the only proper response? Sell all. Give all put all aside, all the excuses, all the, all the reasons why, all the, all the roadblocks, all the reasons why you think I, I can't follow God, I don't have time, there's too much hurt, there's too much pain, you lay it all aside when, when Christ is more beautiful, when the gospel has been revealed to you, when Christ has pressed on your heart and revealed himself to you in a profound and powerful way, you lay all of, all of it aside and you go and you sell all. Jesus said, if any man, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And Jesus says in Revelation chapter three, verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So that's what I want to tell you here this morning. That the risen Savior stands at the door and he knocks. And he says, I know your excuses. I know your situations. I know what you've been through. But I'm knocking. I'm here. Grace is here. Forgiveness is here. Restoration is here. Mercy is here. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, how many mistakes you've made. That is why I came to the cross. That is why I took your place. And he's knocking. And he's he's with you. He's patient with you. He's patient because he wishes that none would perish but that all would have eternal life. And so wherever you come from, whatever you're dealing with, the Lord Jesus is knocking and he's waiting. And what is he waiting to do? To sup with you. To have dinner with you. With you, to fellowship with you. And this is where this story ends. Luke 24. Go back to the text. He revealed divine truth to them. They don't know who the man is, they don't know who he is yet. But whatever he was communicating wrecked their lives, and they said, This man must come in to eat with us. So they drew near to the village which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread. Took the bread. And he blessed and broke it. I gotta stop right here. That is so uncommon in Jewish culture. For the guest to break the bread. The host would break the bread. The host would serve the dinner. But what did Jesus do? He came in and he broke the bread. And he blessed it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. Which is pretty amazing to think about. But you know what's interesting about this? They don't talk about the, rea- the fact. Their next sentences here are not about the fact that he star-trekked them at that moment. <laughs> like, wouldn't that be what we talked about? Breaking bread with Jesus, our eyes are open. And my goodness, where did he go? They don't talk about that. What did they say? He vanished from their sight. And then they said to each other, the two disciples, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures. They were so excited that the scriptures were open to them and they understood them fully. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with him gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. They told him what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Amen. Actually, I was going to say stand your feet because that's what I always say, but just stay seated because we're going to take communion. We're going to sup with the Lord this morning and our ushers are going to go out and they're they're going to distribute the elements of the Lord's Supper here this morning and I invite you to take the Lord's Supper with us and we will fellowship with the Lord through the breaking of bread. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, this is a sacred, holy moment. Lord, we take part in remembering what it is that you've done for us. We're f- taking, we're taking the, the time, Lord, to acknowledge that the work that you've done on the cross is the reason why we're here. That You have forgiven us. You've redeemed us. And that what these represent, what this cracker and this juice represents is that it represents, first of all, your body that was broken for us. When the lashes went on your body, when the crown of thorns crushed into your skull, when the the nails went through your hands and your feet, when they pierced your side, when they spit on you and mocked you, they abused your physical body, it was the punishment that we deserved. This is substitution. This cracker represents substitution. You took our place. And when the wrath of God fell on you, it was a wrath that we deserved. And the blood, the life that was taken, the blood that was spilled, was for the forgiveness of our sins. That we, through faith, by declaring our faith in the reality of the cross and the resurrection, that we can be made born, again. we can be made brand new. We can be born again. So that is what we do. We stand here and we honor you for your work, and we take the bread in remembrance of you this morning. And God, we take this juice in remembrance of you. So what I'd like to do is this morning as we end, I'm going to to close in prayer. But before I close in prayer and dismiss you, I'm going to ask my prayer counselors to come down front. You guys, the prayer counselors, you guys can make your way down front. And what what I would like to do is, before you guys are dismissed, I don't want to leave a service without giving people an opportunity to receive prayer about anything that you're going through. Maybe you're here this morning And through the preaching of God's word, the gospel has been pressed into your heart, into your heart. And you want to make a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life here this morning. There's no greater day. Any day is great to make a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life. But on Easter Sunday, the day we celebrate his resurrection, if that's what you want to do today, any of these prayer counselors can help you with that. So if you need prayer about anything or you want to come to faith in Christ, please make your way down front. I'm going to close in prayer and everyone else can be dismissed. Lord, we thank you for today. What a beautiful time that we had to worship together in song, to sing praises to our risen Savior. What an amazing time, Lord, as we heard your word read from your arrest all the way through to the resurrection. Lord, as your word was taught, Lord, I thank you that we were able to see the power of who you are, the power of your truth and of your word, and how it gives us hope in this life. And God, I just pray a blessing over every person here this morning. I pray that they'd have a great time with their family and their friends. They would celebrate that the core of what we celebrate, the core of why we have peace and we can celebrate is because of what you've done. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.